Good morning, Lakeview Church. These are fun, aren't they? Hey, I just want to encourage each and every one of us as you think about this whole mask deal that we're in right now. We have a whole bunch of positions on masks in the world today. I want to just remind you that whatever your position is, it's your disposition that really matters. Whatever side of the issue you fall on, it's how we carry ourselves as Christians. Not just whether or not we have a certain position, but how we actually carry ourselves into situations and circumstances that really matters. And so I want to just encourage you to always treat everyone you encounter with grace. Because that's what it means to be Jesus followers. So I want to just encourage us with that. That is not part of the message at all. So I just needed to encourage us with that. I do want to just welcome you to Lakeview Church today. I am so glad that you took time out of your Sunday to be here with us. I want to say a special welcome to those who are joining us online today. We are just so very grateful that you've taken time to get in front of a TV, a computer, a tablet, a phone, to join us online. So thank you so much for making the effort to gather with us today. We're glad that you've done so. I want to just uh, talk about a couple of things before we shift gears into the message. First, I want to just say a special welcome to Mr. Simus. Just so glad that you are leading Lakeview Christian School. Uh, I've had the opportunity just to get to know Justin. Uh, I was I think just in like, I don't know, day four of my time here when I found out we're going to have a new head of school and was like, what is happening? What did I get into here? And uh, and so got to start meeting with Justin and man, I just love this this man's heart. And the reason I love this man's heart, there are actually lots of them, but uh, when you realize someone stepping into a new role when there is a significant organizational challenge in front of them, right, of organizing a school, all the stuff that goes into just running a school, there's a lot, right? And then you add a global health pandemic on top of that and new regulations and trying to figure all that stuff out. That's a significant challenge. And uh, I just realized pretty quickly that this guy's a leader, and the reason I know he's a leader is because he runs towards the challenge, not away from it. See, leaders don't run away from challenges. They always run towards it. And, uh, and I know this man could do other things. He could do other things. But he's chosen to step into this leadership role at this time and help lead our school forward. And I'm just grateful for this man's leadership and his willingness to do that. I know that we are going to be praying for all of our educators across our community. But I hope that you will especially pray for Lakeview Christian School. That God will protect our school during this season. And that he will allow us to flourish even in the midst of what is a challenging time. So I want to encourage you to pray that way. 
Now, the last uh, several weeks, we have been walking through individual messages, Pastor Jared, Pastor Jessica, and then I've been doing a few the last uh, few weeks here that are just kind of standalone messages. I want to just let you know what's coming next week so you can be prepared. Uh, we're going to shift gears next week away from these standalone messages. We're going to go back into a series, a series that we're calling Pursuing God's Vision. And we're going to be looking at the Old Testament character of Nehemiah. So if you want to read through the story of Nehemiah the upcoming week, I would encourage you to do so. Uh, but we're going to be looking at that story over the next four Sundays starting next week. And we're really preparing ourselves for the exercise we're going to walk through this fall. We're going to be walking through a vision discernment process throughout the fall. Uh, I started talking about this back in May when I uh, was privileged to become the lead pastor here at Lakeview Church. And we're going to be walking through this process together where we're really seeking to discern God's vision. We're going to be doing these vision focus groups. Sign-ups for those will start next week. These vision focus groups, we've got them scheduled at all different times. We've got them on Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening, Saturday morning. We've got them during the week, in the mornings, in the evenings. You ought to be able to find a time that works for your schedule. We'll be about 15 to 20 people in a room, and we're just going to have a conversation, you and me. And we're going to get to talk together in those small groups about what God's stirring in your heart for the future of our church. God's stirring some things in my heart, and I know he's stirring some things in your heart, and I want to have an opportunity just to meet with you in those small groups of 15 to 20, and we're just going to talk together, and we're going to share about where we think God might be leading us to go as a church. So I want to encourage you to make those focus groups a priority, that you would sign up for one of those and participate. They're all going to be the same, so you only need to come to one, and if you look at all of the times that we've got laid out, if you find that none of those works, you let us know, and we'll make another one. Because we really want every single person to lean in. Now, back in May, we did 21 days of prayer, and in that 21 days of prayer, we started praying for the fall. And when we were in May, the fall seemed so far away. And now here it is. It kind of comes pretty fast. So we're heading into it. And so uh, I want to again, again, call you to prayer. I want to call you to prayer as a church. We're not going to do 21 days of prayer in kind of a programmatic way, but here's what I want to do. I want to give you a little uh, prayer emphasis that you can do in three minutes. So a little three-minute prayer that I want to just ask you to engage in over the next few months so that we are praying together as a church for this vision discernment process. So are you ready for the, this is not the message, by the way. I just want to be clear. This is, I'm not using the message time yet. This is, this is just other, this is free, okay. A three-minute prayer that I want to just teach you real quick. First, I want you to pray for a clear picture of the future. Pray for a clear picture of the future. God has positioned Lakeview Church where we are in this time, in this season, as we are, because he has something for us to do in the future. If God was done using this church, we wouldn't be here anymore. Right? Local churches don't have a right to exist for all time. Right? All the churches we read about in the New Testament, they don't exist anymore. So we don't just get to exist just because. 
We exist because God has something he wants to do through this body of believers in the future. And what we're praying for as we look into this next few weeks here, pursuing God's vision, God, please give us one clear and compelling picture of where you want us to go in the future. Show us where you want us to go. So what I'm challenging you to do is is spend one minute praying for vision, that God would give us a clear picture of the future. Secondly, after you've prayed for vision, I want you to pray for unity. Because while we we might have one clear picture, the reality is if, if we all decide to row in different directions, we won't go anywhere. We'll stay right where we are. And right where we are isn't acceptable. Because that's called the status quo, and God is not interested in maintaining status quo. God's on a mission, and he's going somewhere, and we want to go with him. So we want a clear picture of the future, and then we want unity. We want to align so that we're all rowing in the same direction towards the future that God has for us. So pray for vision, pray for unity, and then third, I want you to pray for courage. Vision, unity, and courage. And the reason we're going to need courage is because when we all get aligned to row in the same direction to pursue a vision for the future that God has for us, guess what it will require? Change. I know we don't like that word. But anything worth having is uphill. You don't get to coast into things worth having in the future. You actually have to work for them. And part of the work that we're going to have to do as a church is we're going to have to be willing to sacrifice, to give up some things that, that maybe, maybe we really hold dear or maybe we think really make us comfortable, and we're going to have to give those up in order to pick up what God has for us in the future. And and that's going to be a choice that we all have to make in the moment as that vision becomes clear and we all get unified around it and we start moving in that direction when God says you've got to lay this down or you've got to pick this up. When we have to step out of our comfort zone, we're going to need courage to do it. So I'm not asking us to muster that courage in our own strength. I'm asking for the Spirit of God to empower us to be courageous people. And take the steps that we need to take into the future. So three minutes. Spend one minute on each of those things. Vision, unity, and courage. And then here's what I'd like you to do. Hopefully this isn't too complicated for you to understand. Three minute prayer. Three times a day. For those of you who aren't good with math, that's nine minutes. Just give nine minutes of your day. Maybe pray one time in the morning, one time in the middle of your day, and one time in the evening. Those three prayers. Vision, unity, and courage. Vision, unity, and courage. Vision, unity, and courage. Three-minute prayer, three times a day. And I'd like you to do that throughout this fall. August, September, October. Because we're going to be in this vision discernment process together. And more than anything else, we want God's picture. We want to be God's people pursuing God's picture for this place. Because that's what we want, right? We want to be faithful to what God is calling us to be faithful to. So I hope that you'll do that. Will you do that? He says yes. 
Z, yes, B, say yes. God's got good, good things in store for us, church. I believe it with all of my heart. And we're going to pursue it with everything that we've got. So next week, we'll start in that message series. And we're going to see what God does through it. We're going to dig into uh, the message for today. But I do want to just pause and actually pray for those three things right now. So would you pray with me? God, in this service, uh, before we dig into today's message, we're just pausing here. To unite our hearts and our minds and our souls and our prayers. To say, God, when we think about the future of our church, we don't want to pursue anything, anything that's not in your picture of the future of this church. We want to give every resource, every minute, every ounce of energy, every every skill, every gift, every ability, we want to give it all to pursuing what you have for us in the future. So would you give us that clear picture? Stir it in our hearts. Give us ideas that we have never had before and let us know that they are coming to us from your Holy Spirit. And then, God, I pray that you would unite us, you would align us around that vision so that we are all rowing in one direction so that we see momentum and energy and and a flow of what you want to accomplish in and through this church. God, everybody go in the same place at the same time with the same commitment, Lord. Let it be so. And God, along the way, as we encounter hurdles and opposition and obstacles and challenges to our comfort, as we encounter your call upon us to change, would you help us have the courage to do so so that we can be faithful and fruitful for your name and your kingdom and your glory and your honor? Please, God, do this work in and through us. And God, for all that you do, We're going to give you the thanks. And now as we turn our attention to the word of God, would you open our hearts and minds, help us to see and hear what you want us to see and hear so that we can respond appropriately to you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you've gotten an email from me, not all of you have had that privilege yet, but if you you receive an email from me at the bottom, you might see this little tagline. It just says radically hopeful. Now, that's not just a phrase that I like to put at the bottom of an email. I put it there because every time I send an email, I want to be reminded of the fact that I have in my own heart and soul and mind made a commitment to keep radical hope alive in my life. That little phrase has become for me shorthand of a core belief and a core conviction that I have that God can actually go into a person's life at the core of who they are and actually completely transform them and make them different. It's it's this belief that God doesn't just forgive our sins or choose to kind of overlook our sinfulness. He actually comes into our lives and he actually changes us and shapes us and forms us. 
And I know some of you right now are thinking to yourself, there is a crying kid in this room. And I want to say, yes, there's a crying kid in this room because we have families who are here. Can I get an amen? If you have ever been a parent and you have ever been in that situation, you are thinking to yourself, this is the worst thing that could ever happen right now. And that is so not what we want people to feel when they come to church here. So as uncomfortable as it might be, just think about being a kid and having to listen to me preach. That is, I mean, that would make you cry too, right? Some of you are adults and you might want to cry, okay? But praise God, we got families, right? There are churches that have no families, and those churches won't be around much longer. So we got to keep growing younger, and that's part of it, especially in this season. So I want everybody to just take a deep breath. It's going to be okay. So radically hopeful. This core belief that God can actually change a person's life. And because God can change a person's life entirely, fully, completely, so that they think, behave, have inclinations that are completely different. We believe God can actually do that. He can go down into a person's life and actually make them fundamentally different so that everything about them is different. Because God can do that, we must continue to believe that God can make the world different and better. Right? Because if God can change enough individual people, he can change marriages and families. He can change streets and neighborhoods. He can even change entire cities and counties. And if God can do that, God can actually redeem and restore the world to be what he wants the world to be. Some of you are with me. Right? It is radical because it's pretty extreme. Right Now, this didn't just come someday as I sat there thinking, what's a clever way that I can close my emails? It came out of a spiritual journey that God took me on. About a decade ago, I actually found myself in a place in my life where I didn't have that kind of hope. I'd actually given up hope that God could change a person's life. I never gave up the belief that God could forgive sins, but I had given up hope that God could completely change a person. And I'd given that up probably for a lot of reasons. There were some things in my life that I wanted God to change that I felt like needed to move forward in my own spiritual journey that just seemed like they were stuck. Have you ever been in one of those seasons? Where like, come on, God, change this in me, and it doesn't seem like it's changing. I had that in my own life. On top of it, there were some people that I respected, uh, friends of mine and leaders and mentors that I looked up to who claimed that God had done this work in their life and then they fell morally. And it, it hurt my heart. I didn't know how to reconcile that. And then I turned on the news and saw our world and the condition that the world was in and all of that coming together just led me to this moment in my journey where I thought, I don't know that God can really redeem all of this. I don't know that God can really change all of this. Then I went back to the Bible. And I started reading the Bible again. I started reading the Gospels in particular. And I read them and I read them and I read them over and over and over again for two or three years. I just stayed in the Gospels and I just kept seeking God to help me with this issue in my life of losing hope that God could change 
people in the world. And then one Sunday morning, I was invited to be a guest speaker at a church. And I found myself seated in the second or third row. Um, They didn't have pews. They had chairs. And so I was maybe two or three chairs in on this side. And I was standing there. And I was doing what I do when I'm going to speak. I'm um, not fully paying attention to everything that's going on the stage because I'm in my mind getting ready to get up and do my part. And I want to make sure I'm ready for that. And so I'm sitting there going over my message in my head and looking at my notes and making sure that I'm prepared. And then God interrupted me. And I have to be honest, initially I kind of thought, come on God, I got something else I'm doing here. (laughs) I don't know if you've ever done that. When God tries to interrupt you, you kind of say, come on God, just I got to do this. That's kind of what I did. But God was unrelenting. And so I turned my attention from my notes to my Lord. And in that moment, I just heard two questions in my soul. They weren't questions that God was asking me because he was interested in what I thought the answer should be. He was asking me the questions to drive home a point. And there were two questions. The first one was, do you believe that I have the desire to enter into a person's life And completely change them. That was question number one. And question number two followed directly on the heels of it. Do you believe that I have the power to actually do what I want to do in a person's life? Now those two questions for me before I ever got up to speak were the altar call. I didn't need anybody up front to extend an altar call to me. I just needed... um, God's voice in that moment to call me to commitment. And it was in that moment, literally standing right in that section, in that little church in Fruitland, Maryland. It really is a city called Fruitland. I don't know what that means about the people who live there, but maybe they're fruity. But um, I was standing right there. And I made a commitment for the rest of my life to be radically hopeful. Now, I got to be honest, from that point to today, there are moments when my radical hopefulness gets challenged. Because there are sometimes still things in my life that I think, come on, God, can't you change that? How haven't you changed that yet? Let's make progress on this. I want to become more like Jesus this year. And I, I feel sometimes like I get stuck. And I see other people around me who don't seem to be changing at the rate that I would like to see them change at. And I want to see God's work fully done in their lives. And it doesn't seem like it's moving forward. And, and, and radical hopefulness gets challenged in those moments. And so I have to keep coming back to this question. Do I believe that God has the desire and the power to set people free and change their lives? And keep coming back to that question. And whenever that question arises, there is this temptation that comes. And the temptation is this, that we would tame Jesus in those moments. That we would take Jesus, a Jesus who has the desire and the power to set people free, to change their lives and to send them out on his mission in the world so that everything in the world could be different and better. We take that Jesus and we domesticate him. 
We bring him back down to a size that fits our experience and our observations of the world around us. And this temptation to tame Jesus is a pretty significant one that we must guard ourselves against. Right? Because, because we bring Jesus down into this box and then our beliefs about Jesus actually dictate our behavior moving forward. Right? As Alan Hirsch says, you show me your Jesus and I'll tell you who you are. Because whatever we believe about Jesus actually determines our beliefs and then our beliefs drive the way we live our lives. And what does this mean? This means that if we don't believe Jesus actually has the desire and the power to set people free and to change their lives completely, then we'll stop seeking that work in our lives. We will settle for forgiveness when God's will is for us to be free. We will settle for grace when God wants to unleash his power and actually enter into our lives and change the substance of who we are and actually make us holy. He doesn't just want to view us as holy even though we're sinful. He actually wants to come into our lives and fundamentally change who we are so that we can be the people God desires for us to be. And we have this temptation to tame Jesus. And what I'm inviting us to do today is to untame Jesus. To just let Jesus be who Jesus is. To let Jesus do whatever he wants to do in your life. So whatever might be holding you captive today, whatever might be holding you back today, to believe in a Jesus who's big enough to set you free from that and to change you and make you more of who he wants you to be. Now this idea of untaming Jesus really comes back to the story that was read earlier from Mark chapter 5. It's one of the places in the gospel where we see a picture of Jesus that's different maybe from the Jesus we talked about last week. Remember last week we talked about Jesus as a forgiving Jesus, a gracious Jesus, one who forgives and forgives and forgives and expects us to forgive and forgive and forgive. That's a true reality of Jesus. But there's a complementary reality of Jesus that's demonstrated in the Gospels that we also need in our lives. We actually need to see Jesus not just as forgiving and gracious and loving and compassionate. He is all of those things. But we also need to see Jesus as powerful and victorious. Because he's not just your Savior. He's actually Lord. There is nothing that we could encounter that he is not powerful enough to deal with. And we don't always think of Jesus that way if we're honest. And it kind of makes sense. We, we like to tame Jesus because the tame Jesus accepts us as we are, loves us as we are, forgives us for all the wrong things that we do. And those are all wonderful things, right? But sometimes I wonder, is that all Jesus wants for our lives or is that just all we want from Jesus? If we can just get forgiveness for that thing and then go do that thing again because we kind of enjoy that thing. And we get into that cycle of we do the thing we're not supposed to do and then we get forgiveness and all's well with the world. But then we go back to the thing that we know is not right but there is some kind of enjoyment in it. And we go the cycle over and over and over again. 
what if Jesus wants to do more than let us live this kind of life? What if Jesus wants to set us free so we can move forward? Mark 5 is one of the places where we encounter the powerful Jesus. This is not flannel graph Jesus carrying the little lamb on his shoulders, you know, walking through the idyllic meadow in this beautiful setting, meek, mild Jesus, not in Mark 5. Mark 5 is like UFC fighter Jesus. I mean, seriously, like he gets in a boat and goes to a cemetery. Some commentators believe if you read the passages around the story that we read, that uh, the surrounding passages support the fact that Jesus actually got in the boat for one purpose and one purpose only. It was to go pick a fight with the demons that were possessing this man who was living in the cemetery. Because right before Mark 5, Jesus gets in a boat and goes to this area. And then right after this situation is over, Jesus gets back in a boat and goes somewhere else. So why did Jesus go there? Jesus went there looking for a fight. This isn't tame and timid Jesus. This is fighter Jesus. And it's kind of funny to us to even say it because we don't think of Jesus in this way, do we? Because we've tamed him. We've domesticated him. But this is not the Jesus we see in Mark 5. Mark 5, Jesus is picking a fight. And he goes to the cemetery to meet a man who has terrorized the community. In fact, the demons that are inside of this man, the evil that has so possessed this man, is so powerful and strong and destructive that the community has pushed this man out. They don't even want him anymore. So they've made him live outside of the town in the cemetery. Now remember, this is a day and age where you don't go near anything that's dead, especially not a cemetery, unless you're burying someone, because to go there makes you unclean. So the cemetery's removed from the community, it's on the outskirts, and they make this man go live there in a place that's unclean, because he's too much for them. When they get him out there, they actually tried to chain him down. But he was so strong and so powerful that he broke the chains. And the passage says no one could subdue him. So you got to understand the picture here. Everybody in this community is terrorized and afraid of this man. And Jesus rolls up in his boat and walks right into the cemetery with one purpose in mind. To take on the evil that is living in this man. And as soon as Jesus steps on the scene, he doesn't even need to say anything. The demons drive this man directly to Jesus. Not to fight with Jesus, but to submit to Jesus. This is not tame and timid Jesus. Even the demons recognize we're going to get our butts kicked right now. Kids don't use that language. But that's what the demons were thinking. Because they go to Jesus, they kneel in front of him, and what do they say? What do you want with us? Please, please don't torture us. So get the picture here. These demons have so possessed this man and used this man to terrorize the community. Everybody's afraid of this man. But when Jesus steps onto the scene, the demons immediately come into line and fall at the feet of Jesus submitted to him. Why? 
Because Jesus is powerful. And he has authority. And the demons know that they're not going to get in a fight with Jesus because they know they have already lost. So they just submit. When was the last time in your life that you encountered Jesus and you thought to yourself, there's a fear in this moment because I realize how big and powerful and mighty Jesus is. When was the last time when you were facing a temptation in your life to step outside of God's plan, to do something that you knew God did not want you to do and you thought to yourself, I'm actually afraid. I'm not going to do this because I'm afraid of, of what Jesus could do in this moment. See, we don't tend to think of Jesus this way. We like the Jesus who's our buddy, our pal, our friend. And Jesus is all of those things. But I just want to let you know, if Jesus decided to snap his fingers, like whatever the guy's name was in the Avengers movie, Thanos, is that his name? Like if Jesus decided to do that, you would just vaporize. Because Jesus is powerful. It's a good thing that he's loving. But he's powerful. And we don't often think of Jesus this way. And when we stop thinking of Jesus as powerful, when we just use the picture of love and compassion and grace and healing and forgiveness, we get a kinder, gentler Jesus, right? But we miss out on the work that Jesus wants to do in our lives of telling the evil to go away. Jesus doesn't just want to forgive you, he wants to set you free. And he has the power to do it. We know that because in this passage, this man's possessed by like 2,000 demons. A legion is what we're told, which means a lot. There's a lot of evil inside of this man, and this man has no hope. He's already been pushed out of the community. They can't do anything to manage or control him anymore. He's beyond the hope of what the town can do. He's out on the outskirts of town, left to himself. This man has no hope, but then Jesus shows up on the scene. The demons run to Jesus, kneel before him, and say, what are you going to do with us? Please don't torture us. Can you just send us into the pigs? And Jesus just says, come out of this man. I just, I love just how right to the point Jesus is. No beating around the bush, no conversations, just come out of this man. And then they go into the pigs, rush off the cliff, into the water, and they drown. Now after you get over the sadness of the loss of all of that bacon, which for me is painful because bacon is good. I uh, have a friend who has a t-shirt that says, bacon is meat candy. I kind of like that. So after you get over that, you realize that with just a word, just a phrase, Jesus has set this man free. Now, I don't know 
what might be holding you captive today. But as I scan the room, I don't know of anyone in the room, and I might be mistaken, but I don't know of anyone in the room that is possessed by a legion of demons this morning. So it's just important for us to say, if Jesus can set this man free, I'm pretty sure he can set you free too. Pretty sure he can do that. Jesus sets this man free, and, and then the herdsmen who see the pigs run off the cliff, they go to the town and say, you got to come see this. And so the town comes out, and when they get there, they see Jesus and this man that they were afraid of sitting there, and the passage says he's in his right mind. So they're all there together, the town, now Jesus and this guy, and, and this is what it says, the people's reaction is in the moment. They were afraid. Now, I don't know if you do this when you read Scripture, but when I read Scripture, when I see something that's kind of surprising, I underline it, sometimes I circle it, write a little note in the margin. This is one of those moments, because I'm like, why are they afraid? Shouldn't they be elated, joyful, thankful, excited, happy? Like, there are lots of other words that I might want to put in there to say, this is how the town felt, but the passage says they were afraid, which begs the question, why were they afraid? They were afraid because Jesus, this is fighter Jesus. I mean, think about it. They've been terrorized by these demons. So whatever level of power they ascribe to these demons, Jesus just walked into the room and trumped that. Which makes them realize if the demons can just bow to Jesus like that, this guy must be pretty powerful. And they're afraid. So afraid that they say to Jesus, can you get out of here? We don't actually want you here, Jesus. Now, we don't know exactly why they sent him away. Maybe it was just purely based on fear, that they were afraid of, of the power of Jesus. That could very well be the case. Or maybe they were in a situation where they thought to themselves, he just cost us a lot of money. I mean, I don't know how much 2,000 pigs cost, but it, it had to cost something. And maybe the townspeople just thought to themselves, we don't want this man costing us any more, so we just want him to go away. Maybe they didn't want Jesus messing with their lives. I don't know why they sent Jesus away, but they sent him away, and Jesus leaves. Which, just a quick time out, just to remind us as a church, if we decide that we're not willing to make Jesus Lord of this community and do whatever he asks us to do for his mission and his purpose, he'll just go away. Right? If we don't want him here, he, he's not going to be ungentlemanly. He might be powerful. But if we don't want him here, man, he'll just leave. And go look for another group of people who are willing to put him right at the center of the community and say, Jesus is Lord. That wasn't part of the message. That was just something maybe to think about. So Jesus goes away. The man wants to go with him. Jesus says, no, no, you got work to do. 
you can't go with me. You've got to go tell people about what I've done for you. Because that's what Jesus does. He sets people free, changes their lives, and then he sends them out on mission. And that's exactly what he does with this man. He sends him out, and the man does what he's supposed to do. He goes and tells him, you can't believe this. I used to be, I used to live in a cemetery. Imagine that. I terrorized the community, and now look at me. Jesus set me free. And as Jesus, as this man goes out and tells everybody about Jesus, what does it say? They were all just marveling, amazed at what this man, Jesus, had done for this guy who had been set free. Now, we are at the end of this service, but there are three lessons. I want to give them to you very quickly. First, we can try to manage evil in our own strength can try to manage it we can try to control it but i just want to let you know you can never be set free in your own strength you can never find freedom in your own strength you actually need the power of jesus to set you free now saying that it's really important for me to also say that god's given us some wonderful tools to help us in this life we know about how to set new patterns and habits in our lives and how to break old ones. We know that there are uh, great Christian brothers and sisters who can come alongside and hold us accountable and support us in the process. And we know that there's good counselors and therapists who can help us in the midst of this life. And there are support groups and rehab and recovery and all of those wonderful things. Those are tools and gifts that God has given to us to help us in the journey. But I want to just be really, really clear. You can go to all the counseling you want to go to and have all the accountability groups you want to have. But unless you have a miraculous encounter with the person of Jesus Christ, you cannot ultimately be free. You might be able to manage it. You might be able to control it. You might even find a little bit better life. But you won't be able to fully be set free until you have a miraculous encounter with Jesus. Second lesson from this passage, Jesus is powerful. He's powerful. And it's just good for us to know that. Right? Because some of you today are in this room and you have you are held captive. Maybe it's anxiety, maybe it's depression, maybe it's fear. It might be a secret sin. And maybe that secret sin's been in your life for a long time, or maybe that secret sin crept in during this whole stay-at-home COVID time when maybe you just didn't have enough to do to fill your time and the enemy saw an opportunity and reached out and grabbed your life and got you into a pattern that you can't now seem to get out of. And you just need to be reminded today that Jesus is powerful enough not just to forgive you of that, but to actually set you free from it. And I want to just encourage you to believe in a Jesus who can set you free. Some of you might be in the room and you maybe didn't even know freedom was possible. You just thought the only thing Jesus did was forgive. And I just want to, I just want to invite you to ask him not just to forgive you, but to actually set you free. Because I think we have no idea of what Jesus might do in our lives if we just say, set me free from this, Lord. Right? 
Sometimes we just have to stop asking for forgiveness and we have to start praying for freedom. And I hope you'll do that because Jesus is powerful. Third lesson, we have a choice in how we respond to Jesus. We have a choice in how we respond to Jesus. We can, we can, when Jesus comes on the scene, we can send him away. Maybe because we're afraid, maybe because uh, it's going to cost us too much, maybe because we don't want him meddling in our lives, or we can have the response like the man possessed by demons had, and we can actually come and fall at his feet and ask for his freeing, liberating work in our lives. We have a choice. We have a choice in how we respond to Jesus. And so as we close this service today, we're going to sing a song together. And I'm going to ask you to remain seated as we sing this song. Because this is the altar call moment for you. Now I'm not going to ask you to actually come to the altar. I'm just going to ask you to stand where you are if you want to respond to Jesus with this open, submitted heart that says, Jesus, I want you to set me free. I want to be liberated. I don't want to just be forgiven. I want to be set free to pursue everything that you have for me. And some of you today need to actually come before Jesus with that posture and say, I need to be forgiven. I need to be set free. I need to be changed by the powerful and victorious Jesus. So what I'm inviting you to do here at the end of the service is as we sing this song, we're all going to sing it together. Whether you got a mask on or not, we're going to sing it together. And as we sing this song together, if you find yourself wanting to experience the freeing work of Jesus, I just want to ask you to stand as a way of saying, Jesus, I've heard your invitation and I'm untaming you this morning. I'm inviting you to be powerful and victorious in my life and set me free. So we're going to sing together. And as we do, if you want to just make that statement before God today, just stand. And I'm going to come back when we're done singing, and I'm going to pray for you. So let's sing together. And if you want the liberating work of God in your life, just stand. God, you see people all across this room standing. Because this morning... We just want to untame Jesus. And God, while there are people in this room standing, there are people who are watching online who are standing right now. Made a commitment in their heart in this moment to seek the liberating work of Jesus. We are untaming you today. We don't want a lesser picture of who you are. We want the full picture. Loving, gracious, compassionate, forgiving, healing. Yes, you're all of those things. But you are also powerful and mighty and strong and victorious. Nothing, nothing, nothing is too difficult for you, Jesus. So whatever we're standing for today, maybe it's fear, maybe it's anxiety, maybe it's worry, depression, doubt, guilt of past mistakes, 
Maybe it's secret sins that have crept into our lives. Whatever it is today, we put those in front of you, Jesus. And we say, would you speak to these things in our lives and say, come out of this person. Please, Jesus, do your liberating work. And for some people, that liberating work is happening right now in this very moment, instantaneously. You're saying the words into our lives and we are free. Others of us, you are asking us to stay in this posture of seeking and waiting. And it might be hours or days. It might be weeks or months. God, would you give us the the belief deep inside of us that you have the desire and the power to change us, to set us free so that we would continue to seek you until you do this work in us. Please, God, please set us free. Change our lives and send us out on your mission so that as we tell others what you have done for us, they would respond to you. And your name and your fame and your glory would expand in our community, in our county, in this region, and in our world. For your name's sake and for your kingdom. God, we love you, we praise you, and we thank you for the liberating work that you're doing in our lives today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated.